Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 6. We'll be there in chapter 7. I've got uh, good news and bad news. The good news is we put in new HVAC units. The bad news is it smells like we put in new HVAC units, but it's all okay and it'll get better over time. Think of it as the new car smell. We'll open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, and hold your Bibles open with you, please, if you have your Bible or your tablet or whatever it might be. And just keep that, I want you, I'd love for you to follow along in the Bible itself. I want you to, we really want to know what God has to say, not just the ideas of some person, but what does God teach us. So open your Bibles, follow along, stay with it. I'll refer back to the text many times along the way as we talk this morning on the subject of holiness completed. Let's, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 14. We're going to spill over into chapter 7. The Bible says, do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and walk among you, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughter, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Well, let's talk about holiness completed. Here's the principle I want you to get with me this morning. God wants you to live a holy life. God wants you to live a holy life. Now, there, is, there are two senses in which we could talk about holiness. One is what I might call declared holiness. And declared holiness is where in salvation, when you trust Christ as Savior, God forgives you so fully and so completely. Jesus paid the price for your sins on the cross, died in your place, paid your debt. And he does that so sufficiently and so perfectly that when you repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ as Savior and Lord, the Bible says you are declared holy at that moment as though you had never sinned. Now, I understand you've sinned. You can't even come to faith without recognizing that you're a sinner who needs a Savior. But God's forgiveness is so great and the blood of Jesus is so sufficient that you are declared holy of every sin you've ever committed in the past or will commit in the future because of the sufficiency of the salvation of the Lord Jesus. You're declared holy. But there's a second sense that we might talk about holiness, and that's what I want to talk about this morning, and that is the practice of holiness, the practice of holiness. And while you are declared holy in salvation, God wants you to live out that holiness in your life, the practice of salvation, the work of sanctification, becoming more Christ-like. God wants to work in So, So let's talk together about uh, this morning about the practice of holiness and what that looks like. And I just tell you, we don't talk about that in Christian circles, in modern, the Western world, the modern world, not so much. I don't know if you ever, have you ever ridden a horse? But if you've ridden a horse, if you fall off on the left side, you'll have a tendency to overcompensate and fall off on the right side. And so there's a generation that went by that certainly talked about the holiness of God, but maybe neglected to some extent the love of God and didn't talk as much about the grace of God. And so a generation came that responded and overcompensated, and they talked about the love of God 
and the grace of God. This generation will talk about that a lot, but very little about the holiness of God and responsibilities of man. And so our tendency is to swing from one side to the other. And if you're going to ride a horse, get right in the center. Can I just advise you on that? Get right in the center and recognize that God is holy and God is love. And they are, that is always the nature of God. And he's never one or the other. When we talk about God's love, where we don't ignore God's holiness or vice versa. God is always love and God is always holy. And so we always have responsibilities while we're always appreciative of what God has done. And we are so thankful that we are declared holy in salvation, but we recognize that we have responsibilities to live out our faith in the practice of holiness and practical holiness in our lives as well. And we're going to talk about that together. So let's note a couple of principles from this text about what it means to live a holy life and why we do that. And so let's note these two principles together. Number one, we just write this in your notes, connect to the person of holiness. God wants us to live a holy life. And we do that by connecting to the person of holiness. Very often, God says in his word, be holy because I'm holy. And we live a holy life because God is holy. And we in salvation are connected to the person of holiness, the very character of God himself who is holy. And we want to live a holy life because God is holy and he wants us to live a holy life. And it is the nature of God to be holy. And so as we connect to God, who is holy, there is this growing desire in us, this dissatisfaction with something less, and we want to, be a whole, to live a holy life because God is holy. Let's, let's note four ways that we connect to this person of holiness, to the Lord himself. First note that you have a, par a partnership. Verse 14 says, do not be yoked together. This is maybe the most unpopular verse in the Bible, what, just among the many unpopular verses in the Bible. This is high. Not be yoked together with those who do not believe. Boy, a lot of people hate that because they say, man, I want to do whatever I want to do and think however I want to think. And, and uh, this is right from God's word. Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. And it even tells us some reasons why. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? You talk about difference. Righteousness, right living, lawlessness, I'm going my own way. Couldn't be more opposite. Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? This is a different essence to those things. They're complete opposites. Or what agreement does Christ have with Belial, the enemy? What, what agreement is there? There's different motivations and, and directions. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? So the Lord says don't partner with unbelievers because we have different values, different foundations, different faith, but also because we're already in partnership with Christ in salvation. When you give your life to Christ, you're already in a partnership. And how can you be in a partnership with the Lord and the enemy? How can light be in a partnership with darkness? And so the Bible is reminding us of this great truth that we have a partnership. Some of you know I have a, one of my uh, brothers is a medical doctor. And that's good because he gives me free medical advice. Though he has been really encouraging me to get a lobotomy lately. He's really been pushing that on me and I feel uncomfortable with that. But he's, a, you know, as best I know, a not fully a quack and so I get advice from him once in a while some years ago uh, he came to practice here for just a short period of time he was practicing in Texas and he was in a partnership and it wasn't a healthy partnership and he had a non-compete which meant he couldn't go to work for a competitor for a period of time and so he came to practice in Belleville for a time until that non-compete was over and then he went back to Texas and and started his own practice 
Well, he had some legal obligations as a partner, some, some things you can do, some things you can't do. You have some responsibilities. He couldn't just decide without his partners what would be done or not done, what would they, how they would practice, how they would uh, run the business. I want you to understand you have a partnership with the Lord himself. When you trust Christ as Savior, you are, you are in the same, you have the same purpose as the Lord himself. You have the same responsibilities. We're in a partnership with God. We join him in his work. We talked about this recently together on Sunday mornings. We join God in his work. We are working with the Lord and accomplishing his purposes. We're in a partnership with God to do what God has called us to do. And so we're connect. One of the reasons we want to live a holy life is because uh, we are connected in a partnership with the God who is holy. And then secondly, note, we have a, you have a presence. You have a presence. The Bible says here in verse 16, we are the temple of the living God, as God said. And then he's going to quote here from the Old Testament. All of these are following verses are from one passage or sometimes several passages that say the same thing in the Old Testament. God said, I will dwell and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. So the Bible is saying God lives in us. We become the temple of the living God. Uh, when I go to Israel next month, I'll, Lord willing, go to the Temple Mount. Well, the temple isn't there, but that represented the very presence of God at one time. We'll go to Shiloh, where for generations the tabernacle resided. And in that place, it represented the very presence of God. Well, where is God today? Is he distant? Somewhere way off? Far away? Well, the Bible says God lives in the life of a believer. He's not out there. He is in here. He is there with us. So that everywhere I go, the Lord goes with me. And everything I do, the Lord is right there. And one of the reasons I want to live a holy life, one of the reasons God wants you to live a holy life is because God lives in you. And it's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit lives in you to convict you of sin and righteousness to remind you when you're doing the wrong thing, to point out his better way, his better plan, and his better purpose for you. And you have a partnership and you have a presence. And thirdly, you have a separation. The Bible says in verse 17, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. <clears throat> Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. Now, God separates us from, and God separates us to. He separates us from sin. He said there's some things... You're just going to have to be separate from. You can't follow the other gods that the other countries follow. You can't worship their idols. You can't go their direction. You can't follow their practices. And you're separated to. You're separated to me. I made you for myself. We're, we're connected together. And so you're separated from the world and separated to me. You're separated from sin and separated to God. And God made us for a separation. Some things we'll never be comfortable with in this world. Some things in this world you'll never be satisfied with. Sin will lose. For those of us who know Christ as Savior, there's something about sin that just loses its appeal to us because we're, God made us for something better. He separated us from sin and separated us to himself. My grandfather, my maternal grandparents, uh, lived on a farm when I was a boy. And it, some of you who have a maybe grandparents or great-grandparents or somewhere in your past, it's very common to have small farms where um, there would be a Today, farmers tend to be specialists, and, and those days, farmers tended to be generalists and have a little bit of everything. My grandparents had 
a little bit of everything, including a, a few milk cows. We would have two or three or four uh, milk cows always that they would milk in the old-fashioned way, milk by hand and have the uh, machines or anything. Just Grandpa would milk those cows every morning and every evening. And I thought of it as fun because I didn't do it every morning and I didn't do it every evening and I didn't do it when it was hot. I didn't do it. Was, it's like a vacation for me. But I'm sure for my grandparents, it lost some of its appeal every day, every morning, every evening. And they'd milk the cows, fill up the pails, bring them inside, and then they pour them into a, a machine they call a separator. And the separator would separate the milk from the cream. And they'd use the cream for, they'd make butter from the cream, and always plenty of butter at my grandparents' house, and then the rest they would sell, one of the few cash things they had. And then the milk they would consume, and they would use the rest of it to feed the other animals, mix in grains and such to feed all the other animals on the farm. Well, that separator was a very important part of their farm life because it, it allowed them to separate the milk from the cream. And God in heaven has separated you from much of this world. Did you know that? I mean, it's not that we don't live in the world. Of course, we live here. But he separates us from the world so that we are never satisfied. We can't be satisfied with the things of this world. That's why we believers can be, even though we can have the joy of the Lord, we can have the miserable, defeating spirit of this world by going the wrong direction. Because we're not, we're not satisfied when we go away from God's way, when we go the world's way. And God made us for something different, and so we're separated. Sin will lose its appeal. God has something better for us. And may I point out to you that God calls us to something better because it is better. The Bible tells us to flee immorality. Not to see how close you can get. Not to see how much you can flirt. How close you can get to the line. How near the fire you can get without being burned. The Bible says there are some things you need to just run from. And much of your life will be determined by what you fight for and what you flee from, what you run from. The Bible tells us to run from some things, to flee them, because we have a separation. So we have a partnership and a presence and a separation, but I want you to note you have a family. Verse 18, the Bible says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Well, when I use the word father, I know there's always some who have a struggle here because you've had some Maybe your earthly father was not what he should have been or your parents weren't what they should have been. Some of you had great parents, but God is a perfect father. But that imagery brings great emotion to people. But imagine, even if your father or your mother were not what they should have been, you can picture what they should have been. And God is that perfect father. Uh, the father ought to set the example. The father ought to be teaching the right things. And God in heaven sets the example of holiness. And God in heaven teaches us what's right and what's wrong. The sons and daughters have responsibilities to learn. You have responsibilities in your family. You're to, to learn the lessons that need to be learned. And you've noticed this perhaps in your own life and family. What you do affects your family fellowship. While you're still a part of the family, what you do or don't do affects the fellowship within your family. And so God is saying, you have a family, and one of the reasons that I call you to holiness is because I am your father, and I'm calling you to something greater and better, and I want you to follow, the examples, to follow the right examples and to learn the responsibilities I have for you. So we might say it like this. 
the closer you get to God, the more holiness will matter to you. The closer you get to God, the less appeal sin will have for you. And the closer you get to God, the more you will love what God loves and turn from what God turns from. In 1896, a guy named Charles Sheldon wrote a book, a novel, it was a novel, that sold 50 million copies, unbelievable, 50 million copies. And uh, there's a book called In His Steps. And it's in, incredibly influential. I'm not sure I'd even see things exactly as Charles Sheldon saw them in that book, but it, very helpful novel. He said, in the book, he had a preacher who was a good guy. Normally, in this day, if it's a pastor, in some, he's always going to be a crook or something. And man, I get that. There have been people who have done wrong in the name of the Lord. I get it. But he wrote about a pastor in this novel who said to his congregation, I want you for the next year, everything you do, you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And the novel was about the ramifications of that. As people said, what would Jesus do in this situation or in this setting or that setting? Well, God in heaven is saying to us, listen, I, I made you for something more. And one of the reasons we care about holiness is because God is holy. And if we're following God, we're following a God who is holy. Yes, he is loving. Yes, he forgives. And yes, grace is real. But God is holy. And so when we follow God, we're following a God who is holy by his very nature. Now, the second principle I want you to note, I say we connect to the person of holiness. Number two, would you write down, commit to personal holiness in life. Commit to personal holiness in life. And go with me to chapter 7, verse 1. The first two words say, so then. Now, I love that. It's telling us, here's the practical application. So, God is holy, and we're in a partnership with him. We have his presence. We're separated from sin and separated to God. We're part of the family. He's our father. So then. And it's going to tell us to cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit. So holiness is the practical response to God's holiness. So we might say our response, our practical response to God's holiness is to live a holy life ourselves. That's the practical response. That's, that's the so then, so then. Because God is holy, we want to be holy. Because God is a God who is holy, we want to live out that holiness in our own lives. Even though we're declared holy in salvation, fully forgiven when we give him our life as Savior and Lord, the practice of holiness still matters. And so we want to follow in the practice of holiness because God is holy. Let's note three things about the holiness uh, of God and how this relates to our life. Three, three parts to the so then. Number one, holiness remembers who you are. It remembers who you are. Verse 7 says, so then, dear friends, dear friends. But Paul's not just talking to some people that like, don't matter. It's not like a theory to him. He's saying, church at Corinth, you matter to me. And we're friends. So let's talk about this. I mean, let's just let's be frank together. And while I'm, I mentioned a, a verse that was unpopular, let me just tell you, you talk about a countercultural idea. The church is as countercultural as it can be. Not even many who name the name of Christ. Many who, who say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. Act as though the church is no big deal. I'm telling you, many. No big deal. Doesn't really matter. 
as though Jesus himself were not the cornerstone, as though the church is not God's idea, as though despite what the Bible says, we don't need fellowship and we don't need connection. Let me just point out a reason why God made the church, because sometimes we need a dear friend to say the truth to us. I don't know if you, do they have water coolers at work anymore? I don't know. We don't have a water cooler here. I don't know if you have water coolers. But if they do, when you go to the water cooler at work tomorrow, there's probably not a whole bunch of guys there saying, hey, you know what? I was just thinking, I've noticed you're going in the wrong direction, and you're not, I don't really want to encourage you to follow the Lord, you know, really live a holy life. Is that going to happen at your job? I don't know what happens in your school, but in your school, is, is, that, is it the popular thing to say, hey, Man, I want to. I hope you're, man. I hope you're living for Jesus. I hope you're living a holy life. I hope you're turning away from immorality. I'm telling you, if you're watching television or movies, are they really like saying to you in the television and the movies, you know what? You really ought to follow Jesus fully, and you ought to really live a holy life, and you ought to do the right thing. And is that what they're telling you? I mean, I, what I'm suggesting to you is, we need in our lives some dear friends who say the truth to us. And who tell us, man, follow the Lord. Or the path you're on is the wrong path. And the direction you're taking, man, it's going to lead somewhere. And you don't, want to, you don't want to arrive at where that path is leading you towards. God's got something better for you. So Paul just has some friends. He says, I want to speak to you. God puts us in a church for that reason. It's one of the reasons we need small groups where we apply the Bible and we say, uh, so then. And answer the question, so what? Why does this matter? And how does this apply to my life? It's why you need a godly friend. Many Christians have not one godly friend in their life. Not one. Many. No one who speaks the truth to them. No one who tells them the hard things. No one who loves them so much that they want to point out what's best for their life and cares about them deeply and cares about the moral fabric of their life. And man. So then, dear friends, notice it says, since we have these promises... We all hold the promises of God, those of us who, who are believers. God promises us. He promises a partnership, and he promises to make our bodies a temple of the Holy Spirit because he lives in us. And he promises us that he'll separate us from sin to separate us to himself. And he promises us that he will adopt us into his family. And, man, the, we remember. We're, we want to live a holy life because we remember who we are. And sometimes... Uh, Dementia patients can get so bad, they don't even know who they are anymore. And sometimes Christians can drift so far from God, they don't even know who they are. And they've listened to the world so much, they begin to think what, they begin to think like the world thinks. Without even hardly realizing it. And they begin to act like the world acts. And agree with what the world says. But holiness remembers who you are. Secondly, holiness turns from what you aren't. It turns from what you aren't. Verse 1 says, So then, dear friends, since we, have, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit. That is, the deeds we do and the spirit or attitudes or actions or motivations behind them. Let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit. Now, the Bible is telling us here that we have a new identity. You are not identified by your failures 
or your sins or your temptations, not in Christ. We have a new identity in Christ. The Bible tells us we're new creatures in Christ. So we're not identified by our failures. We're not identified by our sins. We're not identified by the things that tempt us. We have a clear choice, the Bible says here. Cleanse yourselves. The Lord gives us forgiveness from sins when we're declared holy, but the practice of holiness is saying, I'm going to choose to follow the God who is holy today and the next day and the next. I'm going to do what he wants me to do and not just what seems right to man or what the world says or what comes easily. So let's note what the difference is between what God says and what the enemy says. The, en the enemy says, sin has defeated you. God says, I have defeated sin and you can be forgiven and set free. The enemy says, that's just who you are. God says, you're a new creature in Christ and by my power, you can break free from the bondage of sin or from your past. The enemy says, revel in sin or redefine your sin. And God says, repent of sin and follow my better path for your life. And so holiness turns from what you aren't. You're not defined by your mistakes and failures. You're not defined by your cult the culture in which you live. You're a child of God and you can be defined by him instead of by your past or your problems or your mistakes or your failures. God has a better way. Number three, holiness responds to who you know. It responds to who you know. Verse one says, cleanse our, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion. The practice of holy living is the natural response. It's the completion the natural response to God's grace and forgiveness for us. It is unnatural for us who know Christ as Savior. It's unnatural, spiritually speaking, for us to know Christ as Savior and have declared holiness and not to be living it out in our lives. It's the natural response, holy living, to God's grace and his forgiveness for us. And the practice of holiness, notice the Bible says bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God, now, the fear of God's not just um, like God, we, we don't know what he's going to do. He might be at any moment be angry with us for no reason. It's not that. It is that we recognize God is holy and he is the righteous judge. Think of that for a moment. The righteous judge. When we're thinking most soberly, we recognize that we are not in our own merit righteous. We recognize that he's the righteous judge. And so we come to him with trembling to recognize that if we got what we deserve, friends, don't think, God, you need to give me what I deserve. Because if we got what we deserve apart from Christ, we would be separated from him for eternity. Because we have all sinned against God, and he is the holy, righteous judge. But God offers to us salvation, full and free in Christ, and forgiveness because Jesus paid the price. And we can receive what we could never deserve, God's grace, God's mercy. And so we have this respect for God, this deep reverence for God. The practice of holy living responds to the holiness and the greatness of who God is. And so, God calls us to a holy life because he's holy. And he says, so then, I want you to practice holiness in your personal life and not to ignore it. And not to fall off the horse on the other side and forget about the holiness of God as though 
the Bible isn't filled with references to our responsibility before God. So I want us to bow together for a word of prayer. And I want us to pray about two, in two particular ways. Would you bow with me? Some of you here need to be saved. And I don't want you to think the gospel is, hey, self-improve, try harder, do better, and you'll, you know, God maybe will accept you. Because the truth of the matter is you can't try hard enough. And you can't be good enough. Only Jesus was good enough. And he died in your place for your sins. And the only way to know holy God is through the forgiveness offered because of the blood Jesus shed. He paid your penalty on that cross. He, he paid your debt on that cross. And so I want to ask you today to repent of your sins and place your trust in Christ and give your life to him. And if you'll trust him as Savior, he'll save you. And some of you are here who need to be saved. You've been trying religion. You've been trying to self-improvement, but it'll never be enough. Christ and Christ alone can save you. And today I want to ask you to give your life to Christ. Trust him as Savior. Acknowledge your sin to him. He knows it full well. He, Christ paid the penalty because of that sin. And he is able to forgive. He lived the perfect life you couldn't live and died the death you deserved and provided the miracle you needed in the resurrection. I'm going to ask you to give your life to Christ. I want to say a word to those of you who are believers. You would say, I know I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I want to ask you a question just between you and God. Is there something God is convicting you about? I may not have said a word about it. But the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Is there something God is convicting you about? And I want to ask you today to say yes to God's will. To say yes to God's will. So that you say, God, I, I am so thankful that I can be declared holy in salvation. But I want to live it out. I want to sow then the practical response to your holiness. And I want to live a holy life because you're holy. And so if you say no to something, I want to say no to something. If you say change, I say yes. What you want to correct, I want to respond to your will because I know you love me. You want what's best for me, even though I can't always see that. It seems sin is alluring and it's powerful and it's, and it's the world is always saying how great it is, but you know better. And you know what's right and best for me. And so I want to say yes to your will. And I want to live a holy life. So forgive me where I need forgiveness. And uh, do the continuing work in my life. Listen, to God's not trying to just bring shame to you, but he's trying to bring victory to you by reminding you of the forgiveness he gives and the power to work in and through you in this world to accomplish the holiness that he wants in your life. So find declared holiness and salvation, but I want to ask you today to follow the practice of holiness in your life. And Father, I want to thank you for your word. There is such truth and power to this. And we know the world so often just ignores holiness, redefines sin, revels in sin, calls us to participate, and we find ourselves far too often stumbling along the way though we're forgiven of sin fully by the blood of Jesus in salvation. We can act as though sin is no big deal and it doesn't matter, though it sent you to the cross. 
And so I want to ask you today to call us to practical holiness, to the practice of a holy life. And what you want to change in us and, and for us and with us, we want to say yes to you. There are some strongholds that get in our lives, some sins that have just been there so long. It just it seems as though that's who we are. But you tell us we're, our identity is found in you and not in our failures and not in our temptations and not in our mistakes. And so, Father, we want to say yes to your will. We want to turn from what's wrong and turn to the Savior who loves us. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.